Welcome to episode 132 of Teal and Barber, our Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and joining me as always is my co-host, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, and now 15-time Virginia Sports Writer of the Year, Mr. David Teal. David, congratulations on your latest award. I've decided my career goal should be uh, hanging in here and doing this job until they've officially named that award for you. You're, you're very kind, Mike. Thank you. Um, as you well know, because you also have uh, won this award, it's very gratifying to be recognized by your peers. Well, and, I just... uh, I'm um, just grateful and humbled and at my age, lucky to still be doing what I do. Well, we are lucky to still be reading you because you are the gold standard and, and very deserving. So we wanted to recognize that. We also want to recognize that Virginia and Virginia Tech, David, they seem to have gotten themselves back on, on track here on the basketball court. Let's start with the Hokies, who honestly, I thought looked dead in the water when they lost at Virginia. That was, I thought, an uninspired performance, but they bounced back with the road win over a, a very good NC State squad on Saturday. They knocked down nine threes in the game. They won despite committing 20 turnovers that led to 25 points from the Wolfpack. Uh, Lynn Kidd, I thought, held up really well against DJ Burns and Hunter Couture, who, David, was a little shaky with coming off the concussion against Virginia. Yes. Right, a little bit off. He kind of looked like his old self. So I want to ask you, which is the real Virginia Tech? Is it the one that lost in Charlottesville? or the one that found a way to win in Raleigh? Like, I'm not sure there's a lot of difference in the teams, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I'm not trying to duck your question. They made shots in Raleigh against a defense that isn't as good as Virginia's. So I, I'm not sure there's a lot of rocket science there. The big difference in the two games is Lynn Kidd and Melagio Poteet combined for 20 points at NC State. I believe they had two or four combined at UVA. Hello, Jordan Minor. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that defensive effort against Kidd uh, in, in Charlottesville last Wednesday night was essential for the Cavaliers. But Mike Young's team on most nights is going to figure out a way to score. And the, the, the question becomes, you know, will they defend well enough and will they get enough balance in that offense? Are guys like Tyler Nickel and Robbie Barron and MJ Collins, are they going to knock down shots or is it going to have to be all uh, Padula, all Couture with some kids sprinkled in? They need that balance. It's a great point. You mentioned Tyler Nickel, the transfer, knocked down three three-pointers uh, against State. That That's a yes. huge lift for them. Now, again, this team, we kind of thought going into the year, they were going to go as Couture and Padula went. They're, they're very talented guards. But you know, I mentioned they had 20 turnovers, which is a ridiculous number to commit and still win a game. Sean Padula, the point guard, had seven of those. I asked Tech Coach Mike Young about that on Monday. I'm perplexed. I'm, uh, I'm scratching my head. Uh, really good players, and, and he is, uh, don't uh, don't have those difficulties. Now, I've got the ball in his hands um, a little too much, and we need to get him off the ball and then to a screening action with Hunter at the uh, top, or, um, you know, we could very well play uh, the Rex Steiner kid with, uh, with him 
Uh, MJ Collins has done a nice job back there as a secondary ball handler. Um, Sean Padula is a conscientious young man, a very good player. Uh, you cannot uh, have that uh, that kind of play from your point guards that we have on Saturday and survive. You just can't. Uh, how we won that game is beyond me kicking it 20 times. And I, I despise sloppy basketball, and we had some sloppy offensive possessions. We had enough good ones to, uh, to get out of it to get out of there with a win. We guarded uh, very well. Um, did a nice job on uh, DJ Burns. Uh, so uh, we've got to, uh, you know, certainly uh, a real point of emphasis around here. As it has been, it is every day, Mike. Uh, we've got to uh, we've got to be better. Obviously, you know, Mike, happy with the way they played their half-court defense, but weren't in the half-court very often because of how much State was out and running. Padula is an incredibly talented scorer. He's a great emotional leader, but seven turnovers out of your point guard position. Um, and Mike Young I- insisted it was eight, although officially the scorers <laughs> did go back and, and he thought it was even worse, but the scorers went back and made it seven for Padula. Uh, David, what do you make of, of that issue? Well, two things. Number one, Mike Young doesn't mince words, does he? No, he did not back down from criticism there. No, sir, he did not. And rightfully so. It's it's untenable. And start, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, starting tonight against Boston College at Castle Coliseum, a Boston College program, by the way, Mike, that has beaten Virginia Tech five consecutive times, which is mind bending. I'm not sure BC has ever beaten anybody in the ACC five yeah. consecutive times. I'm I'm being serious. <laughs> and it's especially BC now, as opposed to BC under Al Skinner when it came into the league, and it was a. But the reason Virginia Tech didn't make the NCAA tournament last year was Boston College having you know those two losses to the Eagles. So the Hokies got to get get their eye together against BC, starting the first of three consecutive home games for Tech and. Boy, they need to go 2-0 and this week. You got BC and Georgia Tech, and then the big Monday game against Duke. And, hey, Tech is 5-1 and in its last six home games against the Blue Devils. They're not going to blink against them. And, you know, there, there was a moment, I think we talked about last week, where it looked like Carolina and Duke were kind of pulling away. Duke goes and loses to Pittsburgh. And if you're Virginia Tech, you got to take some some hope there. But um, it's interesting because it, it is it's a Boston College team that I think fans might overlook. Uh, but certainly, this program understands uh, how dangerous the Eagles have been for them. You mentioned defense in the post and defense in the paint, and you know Lynn Kidd, Quentin Post in this matchup, and, and everything Post has been able to do for Earl Grant's team. What do you make of that matchup? Well, kids. Kid's going to have to come away from the basket because Quentin Post can hurt you from deep. We've seen it on multiple occasions. I remember watching him last year at, at JPJ. I was like, wow, that is fluid. That is natural. You have got to account for him out beyond the arc. And the Hokies will need to. And, uh, you know, BC's good in the backcourt. Mike Young. You know, mentioned Zachary yesterday. Then they've got the transfer from Charleston Southern, who's averaging about 14 points a game. You know, the, the Eagles can score it a little bit too. 
So I would imagine that this is going to be a game in the 70s tonight, and Virginia Tech's going to fig- have to figure out a way to win it. Yeah, they're going to have to figure out a way to, to defend, to, to keep BC in the 70s, because like you said, I think we have confidence in them to, to hit that number scoring, but it, it's been the, the defensive end that really has been a struggle. Yep. Well, it, it was the NC State win that I think the Hokies are hoping sends them uh, onto a little run here that turns their season around. The Wolfpack's next opponent, that's Virginia, and we'll talk about that after this break. Well, David, it was that NC State team that Virginia Tech beat Saturday, the same one that whipped up on UVA just uh, just over two weeks ago, a double-digit win over the Cavaliers in, in Raleigh on January 6th. And Coach Tony Bennett was asked this week about the rematch. They really took it to us in that first game, and we stayed connected for a little bit, but then they um, they separated from us, and they're Tremendous defensive pressure. Um, a good team. I know Virginia Tech went in there, and that was a, a heck of a game. But uh, they're they're playing. They're, they're athletic. They have inside outside scoring. They pressure you. They can spread the floor and attack. And you know, Kevin's done a really good job with his team. There's certainly some maturity on that team, and they they they, they took it to us certainly. And we've got to be as ready as we can. They can again play in the half court, but they can score in transition and then come down the floor and make it hard on you defensively. And obviously their record shows that. So so really good. And- well, David, Virginia, of course, looks like a, a different team coming off those back-to-back wins over, over Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, finally getting a road win Saturday in Atlanta, and finally, finally getting contributions uh, from transfer center Jordan Miner. How much better are Bennett's Cavaliers right now than the club that got thumped by State? in Raleigh a couple of weeks ago. I'd say markedly better, Mike, uh, in large measure, uh, literally and figuratively because of Jordan minor, he gives them that low post presence, especially on the defensive end so much. So, and I'll be interested to see this tomorrow night. Will Virginia double DJ Burns down low? I'm not sure they have to. And I kind of think they're going to roll with Jordan Minor early and see how he can handle it. And that way they can stick with the Wolfpack's perimeter game because you know those are the guys that that really hurt Virginia down in Raleigh. Yeah, you know, I think you're right because Bennett kind of gave the impression that maybe the most important thing about Minor is that he can body up and, and you can wall up. Yeah, you can give it a shot one on one, which you know, in the first meeting, their defense on Burns was was just really weird. Like they tried Blake Buchanan, the freshman center, who's just not big enough. And I thought he was physically overwhelmed, but Burns could go at him. And so then they went to the post trap, but very uncharacteristic of a Tony Bennett defense. They seem to get confused and they were post trapping DJ Burns, like out by the three point line, really opening up passing lanes. They just got all out of sorts. If minor can play him man to man, I think it's clear that that was Bennett's preferred approach. That's why he started with Buchanan before recognizing, okay, that's not going to work. And David, it isn't just Jordan Miner's defense, though, that, that's changing this team. Talk a little bit about what he brings on the offensive end. And I'm not even talking about the scoring. I'm talking about the screens. Screen. Tony Bennett said, almost reminiscent of, and this is high praise in the screen world, of what Jack Salt used to do in terms of laying just devastating bodies on guys that really frees up shooters. It, it does. And, and also, Mike, offensive rebound and extending possessions on that rare occasion that the Cavaliers miss a shot. Uh, (laughs) That never happens. No, but you're absolutely right. And in, in that blocker mover scheme that, 
that Tony Bennett likes to run, screening is essential, and and Miner can absolutely do it. You know, we went into this year, at least I did, just praising the construction of this roster, uh, and then it was a disaster because it wasn't working with, with Miner mm-hmm. on the bench. Do we feel like at least Tony Bennett's vision for what this team was supposed to be is a little bit vindicated? I don't know what the, the ceiling is for this group, but when you watch this team play now, do you kind of sit there, I, I do, and, and say, okay, I get it. I, I, I get what this team's supposed to be. Yeah, this is what he envisioned, for better or for worse. Th- 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 no, really, th- yeah. this th- this was the type of team that he anticipated, and he he always says he, he wants a team to reach its potential. Now, what that potential was, is, r- remains to be seen, but minor in the post, Groves, you know, as kind of a stretch four, that's what he, he he envisioned, and that's what they have now. Yeah, and it was always going to be a process, right, David, with this group, because so many new pieces, the four transfers, uh, the freshmen they were working in, Leon Bond, who redshirted. I thought Tony Bennett was really candid after the Georgia Tech game. I, I asked him about, he kept talking about, you know, I, I preached to the players don't grow weary in, in doing good. And in other words, keep putting in the work and it's going to pay off one day. And I asked him because there, w- there wasn't a ton of media there. I said, what about you? I said, do you grow weary <laughs> You know, with everything he's accomplished, right? Yeah. Of going back to square one. And I thought he was really candid to say that he does kind of have to look in the mirror and remind himself. I think his quote was, you know, I got to remind myself to teach, to challenge, to, to, to do all of those things. Um, uh, it was interesting to hear him kind of acknowledge that, yeah, it, th- this is the hard work, but he's still confident that it, it is going to pay off. Now, I know he puts Virginia fans on edge a little when he says these are deposits. Maybe they pay off next year <laughs> and there is no patience <laughs> among fans for that. But um, I thought it was interesting to hear him address kind of his mental take on, on all of this. I agree. And Mike, the the, the one person, and we've talked about him a lot already, but I think Jordan Miner gets a ton of credit for patience and someone who believed in the process. It's one thing to be riding the bench if you're a freshman or a sophomore and or the team is really humming and say they're 12-2 and two, and nationally ranked. Jordan Miner has one crack at this, one final season of college basketball. And A, he was riding the pine, and B, the team was not performing well in large measure because he was the missing piece. That's got to wear on a young person, but he did not. He told us the other night after a game at at JPJ, after the Virginia Tech game, He said, I leaned into my faith and I didn't give up and I just kept coming to work. And he talked about brick by brick and darn if it hasn't worked out. If your season is going to hinge on a guy getting his act together, for for lack of a better term, um, I'd rather it be, yeah, a four-year experienced guy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jordan Miner, if you don't know the backstory, you'll read up on him, but uh, Merrimack was denied the chance to be in the NCAA tournament by that same ridiculous transition rule that that has haunted JMU football. He came to Virginia in large part to be a, a part of an NCAA tournament team, to get that experience. So one, your point is so spot on. 
it's not just that, hey, he hasn't been great. It isn't working out great, but he's not even going to get that goal, that experience, the way things were headed. But you're by every account for, from players and coaches, um, his attitude never wavered, right? He was fun in the gym, loving basketball, putting in the work. Yeah, all Tony of those Bennett things. called him joyful for heaven's sake. I mean, yeah. that's got to be hard to be joyful when the team stinks and you're not playing. Exactly. And, and so I, I think that, you know, a, a younger player, a less mature person, um, I can't imagine somebody else turning it around, but Jordan Miner was, in a sense, the perfect guy to go through that struggle and still be able um, to come out the other side. Now, it does look like Virginia's come out the other side. There's still limitations on this team. Sure. But, David, what I like is McNeely, when he's on, Groves, when they're on, they bring that outside shooting punch. Obviously, that can come and go, but McNeely has had more great nights than than bad nights. Mm-hmm. To me, the difference with this team, and we saw it really in spades, I thought, in Atlanta, is Reese Beekman's ability to turn it on in terms of being aggressive and assertive. He had 19 points. He had 11 assists. He told me afterward, I talked to him, and he said, you know, I just want to take what the defense gives me. And I stopped him, and I said, no. I said, you took things that the defense didn't want to give you. You got penetration when they were helping and when they were trying to keep you out of the lane. And uh, Tony Bennett said that's what they need from Beekman to really get to that next level. Well, and maybe Beekman can be more energized on the offensive end, especially now that Dante Harris is back and here and there and keep him you know, just keep those minutes down, energy up, because he's always going to be a force on the defensive end. He's not going to waver there. But now with with Harris back and a little bit of depth there in the backcourt, I think you're going to see more of him being assertive and aggressive and taking what the defense doesn't want to give him. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Harris spells him but they also play together and Harris can bring the ball up. Um, And all of that is Reese Beekman is where you're going to go for a game winning shot. We've seen it a few times already in games. The ball's going to be in his hands in the final minutes of a close game. You want that guy to have a little juice left in his legs and sure any minutes you can steal and any, any break you can give him. um, I think that's huge. McNeely's interesting, David, he shot three in Atlanta. Now one of them, the shot clock was winding down on him, but, from the logo and from deep into the logo. It wasn't like he was towing the edge of the logo. He told me afterward that that him and, and Johnny Carpenter, now an assistant coach uh, with UVA, they actually work in practice and particularly in pregame warmups on extending his range because teams are all up on McNeely. Like they're not going to give him a three at the line. They're running him off that line. So those were not fluky heat check shots. That's by design, David, that they're thinking, okay, we need to get McNeely looks and some of them may come from, to my eyes, just on this side of half court. Damon Stoudemire, the Georgia Tech coach yesterday, Mike, on the ACC Zoom, had a wonderful description of the one McNeely three late in the shot clock, a nine one one three, yes. <laughs> which, which maybe it's an NBA term from Stoudemire, or from Stoudemire's coaching and playing days, but it just tickled me. I mean, I laughed out loud when he when he said it. But but you're right. I, I think extending his his range is clearly a wise move because that is the way defenses are going at him. They're they're crowding him, so he's either a got to put it on the deck, which he's shown he can do, 
or B, back up even farther. And he's showing now that he can do that as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's a dynamic to this offense that they absolutely need. I think they also need Jake Groves, who passed on a couple uh, threes in Atlanta and, and heard about it from his teammates, but he hit a big one late. Yes, he did. When Georgia Tech was trying to rally back into it. They're uh, off the right wing. Yeah, that was just a huge shot, especially because, and you know, one of the ones he passed on, Tony Bennett called it an out-of-body experience. Groves put it on the deck and tried to like sky from the free throw line for this one-handed dunk, which Groves is a sneaky good athlete, but um, short of Michael Jordan, not many people throw that one down. Uh, But with with McNeely and Groves uh, on the outside, Miner on the inside, Beekman being more assertive. Tony Bennett has loved Andrew Rohde. I I know the fans are frustrated because Rohde's scoring 5.4 points a game. He's shooting like 26% from three. He's not bringing that offensive flair that we saw as, as the freshman of the year at, at St. Thomas out in Minnesota. But Tony Bennett praises him, his assist to turnover ratio, his movement without the ball, his defensive awareness. Those are always going to be the things that get you on the floor for Tony Bennett. They are, but at some point, that 26% has, has got to nudge upward or it just becomes diminishing returns. And that's why oftentimes, and I think I mentioned this to you during the Virginia Tech game, that when Beekman Harris are in the backcourt with Miner and uh, and Groves and who am I missing? Ryan Dunn. How, how, and, and, and Ryan Dunn. That's their best lineup. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that Dante Harris just, and we like it, but he takes too many wild uh shots he becomes a little black hole sometimes where the ball goes to him and and he's going to make a play and not move it and and just like i said with roadie that's sort of the opposite of the tony bennett way now i think they need some of that i think they need some of that um aggressiveness assertiveness swagger uh but maybe under a little more control kind of what beekman's doing um i think if harris can get there uh he'll have a huge impact well under stoudemire georgia tech competitive We've seen Kevin Keats doing a great job at NC State. We mentioned Pitt with the big win over Duke. At the end of the now, day... Let, let's keep in mind, though, Mike, Duke without two two starters. Correct, against, but at home. Against Pitt. But at home and, and should win yes. that game. Should win that game. But yes, um, not, not full-strength Duke, so let's not write them off by any means. Yeah. Um, but as you look at the ACC, Carolina, the only unbeaten team in the league, one, do you consider them a legitimate national title contender at this point? 100% yes. The Tar Heels, Mike, are one of four teams, along with Auburn, Arizona, and Purdue, that are top 15 Ken Palm offensive and defensive efficiency. And Steve Forbes mentioned it last night after the Tar Heels just took his his bunch apart in the second half. They just destroyed Wake Forest. Uh, Carolina is defending at an elite, elite level. Opponents are shooting less than 29% beyond the arc against Carolina. That's really good. And those numbers have been even better in ACC play. They are just guarding the heck out of you on the perimeter. That's Elliot Cadeau, the freshman, that's R.J. Davis, who's clearly the ACC Player of the Year and had a career-high 36 last night. That's Seth Trimble off the bench. That's Cormac Ryan, the transfer from Notre Dame. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Armand DeBaycott and Brandon Ingram, the transfer from Stanford. I mean, they've got some dudes and some depth, and they are humming. 
yeah, deep and experienced. I think Baycott sort of makes some of that perimeter defense possible, right? Because you've got this guy you trust right around the back basket in terms of rim protection and in terms of rebounding, and it allows you to extend out and not give up any open looks, and certainly they have the athletes to do it. You mentioned R.J. Davis. No argument there. He, he's been amazing at both ends of, of the floor. Um but to me, it is, it's the depth and the experience in that team that makes me think they're, they're built, obviously they're built to be great all year, but they're built, I think, to win in March. Yep. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And Mike, you mentioned Baycott's, you know, kind of that security blanket down low defensively. But I noticed him last night on the perimeter hedging hard on some ball screens. I'm thinking, dang, Tony Bennett would love that. <laughs> and... And, and, no, I was really struck by it. Yeah. And if, you know, if he's going to provide that, you know, he's another guy. Fifth year, last go around. This is what he came back for. And, you know, make no mistake, R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott were really angry by what happened to that team last year to go from preseason number one to declining an NIT bid because they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, that's you know not to overstate it, but at Carolina, that's unacceptable. <laughs> that's just not up to their standards of basketball. And Baycott and Davis took it personally, and that's why they're back. That and well, <laughs> it makes it a little more palatable when you get some cash in your pocket, no doubt. Correct. But it, it, it's a great point because. The storyline done over a million times is you lose in the national championship game, right? Or you lose in the final four. And then you say, okay, even though I'm an NBA guy, I'm coming back because I got to make that right. I think it took some character to say it wasn't like we were this close. They were miles away to come back and say that wasn't us. We were better than you saw. And your point about the defense to me is what stands out the most because they are massively improved on that end. They are stifling people. It just feels like a veteran group that really did come back and say, forget NIL, forget the NBA, forget all of that stuff. We'll do whatever it takes to win this year. Um, Certainly they get all those other trappings, but uh, I've been just blown away and impressed by how good Carolina is. Yep. And you know who else gets credit? for that hubert davis yeah he really does because those people you know the the, the guys we mentioned rj and, and and baycott and all the rest they got to be motivated and he's clearly done that uh he and his staff so i i applaud him as well you know it's it's interesting carolina is one of uh just four teams in the acc undefeated at home home which is obviously huge you got to hold sir at home they're also undefeated on the road, all of their loose losses are neutral court. Uh, NC State has been good on the road, three and one. Other than that, you kind of look through the ACC and you think that really is, ironically, Pitt is three and one, and some of that is a schedule on the road. But you really think winning on the road seems to be the thing that is holding down teams from separating from this pack. Well, it's interesting, Mike. I, I saw Andy Fletterjohn from the ACC office had a note in um, the weekly release that home teams are only, I think, 28 and 24 in conference games this year, which is on pace to be one of the lowest percentages in history. But again, that could be a function of who has played whom and, and schedule rotation. But right now, you know, on Saturday, road teams were five and two in, in the seven conference games. 
including Virginia and, and Virginia Tech, who have been uh, great, great home teams and terrible road teams. Virginia Tech's what one and four uh, on the road, and, and UVA also one and four, and uh, both getting their their first road wins here. David, you wrote a story about a, a former UVA player and in Jeff Jones, uh, Old Dominion's coach, and everything that that's going on there. Why don't you take uh, take us through kind of what the Monarchs have been dealing with? Well, wow. That's a lot, um, but not as much as, as as Jeff Jones has. Mike, Jeff has been dealing with prostate cancer for nearly a decade now, and it, it it's a and I don't begin to uh, pretend that I know the uh, the ins and outs of it, but it's it's one of those deals where it'll be it, it never goes away, but sometimes it's just there, and his PSA numbers are okay, and he doesn't have to be in treatment but other times those psa numbers get sideways and he has to have treatment well now he's in a phase where he needs treatment and oh by the way in december out in hawaii where they were for a holiday tournament jeff had a heart attack so you talk about two gut punches simultaneously and so a little more than a week ago he gathered his team in their film room over in norfolk and told them that he would be stepping away from for the remainder of the season. And that's hard uh, for the players, for him, for his staff. Kieran Donahue, a longtime assistant of his, <clears throat> is serving as the interim coach. And I went over there on Thursday night. It was their first game since Jeff announced his uh, decision to step away for the remainder of the year. He had been away since, obviously, since the heart attack. Those kids didn't go out and just play their backsides off and crush Marshall and a six-game losing streak. And it was such a cathartic, poignant moment. Good crowd, more than 6,000 at the Ted Constance Center. And I texted with Jeff the next morning, didn't want to bother him with a phone call. And obviously he was very pleased. And um, I don't think, it, you know, Jeff is my age. He's a year younger than I. He's 63. He doesn't know if this is it. It might be. He might have to call it quits uh, at the end of the season. He doesn't want to. He wants to make it right because uh, the Monarchs are struggling big time. But um, for one night over on Hampton Boulevard in Norfolk, all was right um, in his basketball world. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance to read David's column from that, it was, of course, again, outstanding. And uh, sports gives us those moments, right? Because you mm-hmm. mentioned it, and I don't you know, mean <clears throat> this in a negative way, but, but they're not very good this year. And, and they are struggling and they were losing and everything they're dealing with off the court. But sports gives us those moments where people rise to it, right, with everything they're dealing with. And, and I thought, uh, one, your, your column conveyed that. And, and uh, kudos to those kids, though, on, on the way they handled it. And um, and I think kudos to, to, to Jeff for understanding, because we've seen so many people who don't get it, don't get that you need to take care of yourself. And, and it's so hard. You mentioned, right? These guys don't want to leave certainly not in the yeah. middle of the season and um you know I, I think for him to make that decision as difficult as it is uh it gives him the best chance to come back and and that's i think what we're all rooting for absolutely and you know mike put, put yourself in in the position of there was one player who actually saw his head coach being wheeled out on a gurney from the team hotel in honolulu and he immediately of course hit the the group chat and was texting all his teammates and saying dudes we got a problem get back to the hotel and you know that's 
that's scary stuff. It, it is because these coaches are, are, are so, and, and, and in a, a positive way, ingrained in these kids' lives as, as mm-hmm. they should be. And, um, you know, you, you hear it all the time and it, it almost becomes cliche to always like a father figure. But, you know, if you think about it, with the amount of time and the amount of sway and influence that these coaches have, they are that. So it, it is so much for Jeff, um, for those close to him to, to deal with in, in supporting him and, and, of course, his team. And I just thought that was a really great moment. And gl- glad you were there to uh, to document that one. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a special night. I've known Jeff for you know, almost four decades now, and um, it was uh, it was a privilege to be there. And Jason Wade, a young man from Richmond, who's a, a, a senior on the team, the elder statesman and. Uh, he went through some depression issues and mental health concerns during the pandemic. He had first a knee injury, then Achilles, and he just didn't know what to do with his life. And Jeff Jones was one of his lifelines. And now he said, Coach Jones always had my back. Now I have his, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure this team performs as hard as we can and that we make him proud. And uh, that's the kind of impact that a coach can have on a young person. No doubt. And a big moment for them. They're probably not going to be one of those teams that, that are playing in March, David, but you took no. a look at around the Commonwealth. Kind of what are the, what are the hopes there in terms of, because Virginia and Virginia Tech have now, if you look at the net rankings, they've put themselves back on the right side of things. And Virginia's gotten some help from some games and, and may still get some help from some games that are moving into the quad one category. You know, Florida is there now. Texas A&M is right on the cusp because of how those teams are playing. What is the overview in the Commonwealth, though, for the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, Virginia Tech's metrics are still very good. You know, number 53 non-conference strength of schedule, that's really going to help the Hokies. Uh, James Madison is going to be in the conversation in the Sun Belt all year long. The question is whether the Dukes, who have only lost two games all season, can be on the at-large board if they don't win the Sun Belt tournament. They have very little wiggle room. Uh, my, my hunch is... They, they better win those three games in in the postseason tournament. And then in the Atlantic 10, you've got Richmond sitting there atop the standings, undefeated, tied with Dayton, which visits the Robins Center uh, this Saturday, a game I'm going to hit and very interested to see. Yeah, yeah. There, there's still uh, – we've had some great years in the Commonwealth. I don't think we're in that category no. certainly this year. But what we do have is, uh, Seth Greenberg, cover your ears. We got a lot of teams that could find themselves in that bubble discussion. Yeah. Uh, and you know what makes March fun? A lot of teams that that may go into, as you referenced with JMU, go into their conference tournament thinking, we better take care of business or we're leaving our fate very much in jeopardy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, then there are other teams that historically are, are going to be factors. And you know, Richie McKay and Liberty are are never to be dismissed. That they're in a new league this year with, with Conference USA, and they've got kind of off to a staggered start in that league. But some tells me Richie will get that bunch back. Norfolk State in the MEAC. Um, They've had a remarkable run. They, I think their worst record in the last 12 years in that league is 9-5. and five. That was in the, in the COVID year. And with the conference tournament in Norfolk, right around the corner from campus, that doesn't hurt them either. Yeah, yeah. there's there's chances for a bunch of teams. It's fun to have George Mason back in the conversation. Um, you know, they, they, sort of the original uh, uh, mid-major grab your Absolutely. attention. Absolutely. 
good to see them kind of back in, into that picture. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. We hope you had a lot of fun listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.